Voice of the Cape Drive Time, 0829-913-913 is uh, the WhatsApp line. What do you think? As health officials in the Republic race against time to roll out phase one of government's COVID-19 vaccination plan, the University of Cape Town has unpacked the need-to-know guide about COVID vaccination. Online is Professor Ed Rybicki, Director of Biofarming Research Unit at UCT. Professor, welcome. Hi, and that's Rybicki. Sorry to correct you. Rybicki. I have had a very strange spelling on the sheet in front of me. Apologies for that. Um, let's get to, to matters at hand. Um, government's COVID-19 vaccination plan. Some of us didn't know that there was a plan. There has been a plan for some time. I think they kept it reasonably secret because they had to do a lot of negotiating behind the scenes. But it's actually come together very quickly, and I think you'll find it's pretty, compli- com- pretty complex and pretty comprehensive. Yeah, I mean, complex must certainly be the operative word if the aim of the health department is to vaccinate 40 million South Africans. That certainly is uh, quite uh, a daunting uh, a project but i do believe that um uct has unpacked a need to n- to know guide about covid vaccination tell us something about the nuts and bolts of this particular guide depending what exactly you're talking about because there are in fact a couple of them i did a guide to what are the vaccines and um, how they will protect and i did another thing on mutations and variants I can give you a quick spiel on the vaccines themselves, if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people listening would be quite interested to know, for example, um, what vaccines are going to be rolled out and perhaps how effective they're going to be. Sure. Now, for example, right now, South Africa is one of the first countries that's actually rolling out the, um, I was going to say, Pfizer vaccine, that's not what I mean. I mean the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is a modified adenovirus. They're doing it in the form of what they call an implementation trial. So technically it's a clinical trial, but actually that's a formula so that they can do it as a trial and roll it out at the same time. It's actually very similar to the way uh, antiretrovirals were first rolled out. So what would be the effectiveness of, the, of, of this particular vaccine? Uh, you know, that I think is a question that a lot of people listening to us right now would be asking. There's a number of different values that you can see if you look up, if you just look up in news and that kind of thing. But if you look at the most recent uh, literature to do with the clinical trials that have been done and very recent results, that have come out, I believe that it's something like 64% effective. Now, that, that's a mystery word is effective because it can cover a multitude of sins. What they mean is it prevents obvious disease, mm-hmm. and that is a good thing. That's an extremely good thing. Now, now s- some uh, people that we've spoken to, if, if I've understood them correctly, have said that the effectiveness of, of any of the vaccines is that ultimately it's, it, it prevents 
the high mortality rate that we have been seeing in terms of COVID-19. So what it does, even if it may not prevent you from getting the virus, it stops you from progressing with the virus, if I'm phrasing it correctly. Very close. Now, what if it can just prevent uh, severe disease and hospitalization, Mm. the vaccine will have done most of its job. What we'd really, really like it to do is to prevent um, people catching the virus completely. Mm. It appears that just about all of them do not do that. In other words, people can still get infected despite being vaccinated. But even you can see that many, many people who actually have had COVID have no symptoms at all. They only get picked up and they want to become blood donors or the like, or they go to a clinic for another test. So there's a lot of people uh, catch the virus and get over it without ever having shown symptoms. Now, if you realize that the vaccine will stop you potentially showing symptoms at all, and especially it'll stop you having to go to hospital, then that is effective. does not necessarily mean it stops transmission, which is why the other protocols that actually prevent transmission should still be in force. In other words, masks and distancing. It reminds me, in a sense, of the current flu vaccines that we've been using every winter. Is that a justifiable comparison? I think they're better than the flu vaccines, to be honest. The, some of the flu vaccines, and I'm thinking of the last couple of years, and one of the strains that's in the vaccine in particular, was about 20% effective. In other words, not quite useless, but not far off. And that's because <laughs> the virus picked up mutations and, and variations that meant that it avoided the immunity that you get from the vaccine. Now, uh, and something else that I think needs to be, to be explained is why is there a first and then a second vaccine shot? Um, normally when, when people had their polio vaccines, it was one shot or yellow fever, it's one shot. Why two in this particular case? Now, all of the vaccines being used are effectively killed. That's a technicality, but it means what they don't do is multiply like the polio vaccine, we, we have live polio vaccine in South Africa, given as oral drops. That's actually an infectious virus. It's just that it does not cause disease. Mm. The shot that you get for yellow fever is the same. It's a so-called attenuated virus, meaning that it's live, it multiplies, but it causes no disease. But at the same time, you become immune to the, to the actual um, virus, the nasty wild-type version. Now, the, all of the vaccines we use, that's the mRNA, the um, ad, adenoviruses, etc., for COVID-19, uh, do not multiply. So mm-hmm. you need more of a dose in order to become immune in the first place, and it's usual that you need a second dose. I noticed that the um, Johnson & Johnson, you only need one. And it could be found later on that some of the others are the same. But right now, it's the Irish principle. To be sure, to be sure. Mm -hmm. Now, now there's something else that comes up, and I think this is quite profound. And and this is uh, in the report. I'm going to sort of lift off the report. It says, um, uh, it talks about COVID-19 side effects, um, such as lethargy, lethargy, mental fog, 
clotting disorders that can lead to strokes, joint and muscle pain, anxiety, depression, and cognitive impairment. Some people, um, they struggle with their memory. And then the final sentence says, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a mild short-term fever or headache than such long-term complications. The reason I'm, I'm asking this question is a lot of people say, yeah, but the, the, this vaccine has got side effects. <laughs> um, explain that one, please. Uh, depends. Everything has side effects. Aspirin has side effects. Right. All vaccines have side effects. Just about everything that you would have ever had or will have as a vaccine will have some generally mild and generally temp- very short-lived temporary side effects. And that's um, one of the side effects is a slight swollen lump where you get injected. That's mm. inflamed. In other words, the temperature is slightly higher. It goes red. And in a couple of days, it's gone. And if you ever had the old smallpox vaccination, that was a little bit more serious. You ended up with your whole upper arm swelling up and something that didn't go away for about a week or two. These vaccines, the COVID vaccines, everything I've read uh, says that although the term side effect sounds nasty, they are really, really mild. And a, a slight headache, something that you could take a panado for. Um, a mild fever, something that you go and rest for the afternoon, compared to the effects of severe COVID or even the long-term effects of mild COVID, is really, I'd prefer it by a long way. Do you think that um, herd immunity, what a cliché, is, is this a possibility in terms of COVID? If one looks, for example, at Spanish flu, okay, our note was an avian flu and perhaps it wasn't SARS. Hopefully I'm getting myself right. But um, uh, Spanish flu kind of died out. Will COVID go the same way? Spanish flu never died out. Okay. Spanish, Spanish flu is actually still with us. Right. That was H1N1 influenza 1918. Mm-hmm. That actually went into pigs and circulated in pigs and reassorted and recombined and popped back out in 2009. But it stayed with us continuously from 1918 through to 1957 when it was actually replaced by H2N2. That was replaced by H3N2 in 1968. And then due to an accident that isn't talked about or probable accident, H1N1 came back into the human population after about 1977 and then co-circulated with the H3N2. So it never went away. The thing was that the virus slowly became less lethal as people became more immune to it. So herd immunity is a wonderful concept. The herd is effectively immune because most of the herd cannot catch the disease. It hasn't worked for influenza. It doesn't work for measles. It doesn't work for the common cold. In that these and respiratory syncytial, which is another nasty thing that kids get, Adults are mostly immune to all of these things. Kids are not. They mm-hmm. were born not having had it. They don't have, they only have transient antibodies in it thanks to the mothers. And then when they're old enough, they get infected unless they've been vaccinated. So herd immunity is fine in that it protects some people. It definitely doesn't protect the most vulnerable. Right. So obviously in, in sort of in the short and long term, what we're doing now, vaccination, is uh, it's not a silver bullet, but at least it's an answer. It's close to being a silver bullet. This is a silver alloy bullet. That In sounds other words, good. <laughs> you're knocking down the chances that people are going to get infected or productively infected. But there's a whole continuum here because you 
if at the extreme you would like a vaccine that completely prevented infection. These pretty much don't exist. Does it prevent nearly all infections? Well, some of them are really good at doing that. Does it prevent 50% of infections? Well, even that would be a good thing if it prevented disease at the same time. Problem is then everybody has to be vaccinated because otherwise there's always a population of people that are going to be spreading virus and there'll always be a population that are susceptible. So if we can vaccinate up to, and I think the figure for measles is something like 85%, you have 85% measles vaccine coverage, you're at the threshold of herd immunity. In other words, the likelihood that measles will spread in that population is very, very low indeed. Right. But if you think that population of South Africa is 60 million right now, 80% of that is you know, above the 40 million that the government actually wants to vaccinate. So let's hope it does have a happy ending. Unfortunately, we have to leave it to Professor Ed Rabisky, Director of Biofarming Research Unit at UCT. Interesting chatting to you, and thanks for joining us. A pleasure, and your information is really up-to-date and spot-on. Thank you. Thanks.